Rejection. Every single one of us, at some point in our life or other, we have been rejected. And it is not fun. It is painful, sometimes humiliating, scary, confusing, everything all of the above. Rejection is not fun. But I think how we look at rejection and how we deal with rejection will determine how it affects us, what kind of mark it makes on our life. I have a story I want to share with you. Sadly, I have several stories of rejection. So let's talk about that today. Let's get into it. Welcome to Big Time Small Talk. I'm your host, Jody Rollins, and today we're talking rejection. <laughs> Ugh, it is not fun to be rejected. I've had a fair helping or two or more, much more of rejection in so many parts of my life. And I dare dare I say I'm a professional at being rejected. And, you know, partly it was because of my career choice. I mean, when you, I was going to say when you decide that you want to be an actress, that's what happens. It's a lot of rejection, but I never felt like I decided that. It was just what I wanted to be. And it was just sort of inherently who I was, being creative and outgoing, and I love to perform and entertain and sing and all of these things. But to do that, there's so much rejection. Living in New York City, going to auditions for Broadway and off-Broadway plays and musicals, getting rejected. When I lived in Los Angeles and I would audition for television and film and commercials and bands and get rejected, it was a lot. But it's funny because a lot of that kind of blends into one sort of mishmash of, I don't know, just a big pile of rejection. But the things that stand out the most, the most painful rejections that I've been through have nothing to do with entertainment. They're everyday life. So as I said in the cold open there, I wanted to share a story with you and I'll probably share a couple. But when I was thinking about this topic, the first thing that came to my mind, that's my little snap. I don't have a very large finger snap. I just, I don't. My husband's is like, click. Mine's like, click. Anyway, so the first thing that came into my mind when I started thinking about rejection was when I was 17 years old and I had a huge crush on this guy. Let's see, should I say his name? 
<laughs> he had such a unique name, so I won't say his last name. There might be a couple people from high school that listen to my show, so I don't know. I'll just say his first name, that if you are listening from my high school, it wouldn't be that hard to figure out who this guy was. So his name was Preston. And I just thought, wow, what a great, I mean, I just, that was the first and only Preston I've ever known. I was just like, oh, he's dreamy. His eyes are dreamy. His smile was dreamy. And his name was dreamy. Preston. All right, I'm going to take a real chance. So his last name was Dodie. <laughs> and I thought, if I marry him, I can't change my name because then I'll become Jody Doty. <laughs> so I was like, maybe I should have known right then and there. I was doomed. It was destined not to happen. So you can see where I'm going. If we're talking about having a huge crush and the topic is rejection, this isn't a happy story. But so Preston and I worked at my very first job. We worked at Kentucky Fried Chicken. <laughs> and, you know, it was so, I mean, well, it wasn't great, but it was great to finally get paid. You know, I was a teenager and my parents were like, you know, it's time to get a job and start making some of your own money. So I got a job at Kentucky Fried Chicken. And I remember I was making like, I want to say $2.89 an hour which is nothing. I remember my checks though would be like 80 bucks and I was like, sweet, gas money, yeah. So here I am at Kentucky Fried Chicken wearing the ugly uniform. It was like beige slash baby puke brown. And so Preston started working there too. And he was a senior and I was a junior. So he's an older man, right? And there was just something about him. His eyes like sparkled. Not everybody's eyes sparkle. His did. And I would just look at him and I would get butterflies. And he would talk to me and tell me jokes and stories. And I was just like, oh my God, I think he likes me. I'm like, maybe he likes me. Because I had had all these different crushes. And these guys were not interested. And I have to say, as a little side note, I was pretty cute back then. Now, I didn't necessarily think I was. I had my moments, but doggone it, I was a cute little high school girl wearing my little mini skirts. And back then, I wore pantyhose to school. Can you believe that? We wore pantyhose to class. I would get all dressed up in like skirts and pantyhose and a nice blouse. My stepkids wear like jeans and a sweatshirt back when they could go to school, but like, and a, a, or a cute shirt and jeans. I mean, pantyhose, I remember I had a run in my, you know, stockings, pantyhose, interchangeable term, but I had a run in my stocking and I went home at lunchtime so I could change them. <laughs> like, what? And then came back to school and had a fresh pair of pantyhose on. Eh! I hate pantyhose. I'm so glad they're like not a requirement of women anymore. They were so, so restrictive and confining Ugh, I'm glad that you can go to a professional audition and you don't have to wear pantyhose anymore. I know some people do, but they certainly were not my thing. Anyway, so here I was in high school having my crush on Preston Doty working at Kentucky Fried Chicken. 
And my boss, who was like, well, there's no way to put it. He was a complete douchebag. His name was Daryl, but he was like this really cool dude. He was like 26, which to me, you know, when you're 17, even though it's not that much older, just felt like he was old. He was like almost 30. So Daryl was so cool. He didn't go by Daryl. He went by D. Like, I'm such a cool guy. And he would tell people, yeah, no, my name's D. Don't call me Daryl. Call me D. And I'm like, okay, whatever. And he was such a douchebag, you know, just nitpicking at stuff and thinking he was cool and in with the high school kids and stuff. And it was really obvious. And this is in retrospect, I realize. It was really obvious that I like lit up whenever I saw Preston, Preston Doty. And I just loved being around him. I remember he worked at the fryers. Like all he did was fry those bucket of chicken, buckets of chicken, finger licking good. And I worked in the front. And so I would find every opportunity to go back there. And so, you know, it's pretty obvious when teenagers have a crush. But to you as the teenager, you think you're hiding it well. At least I thought I was. And one day D calls me in the office, like in between, it was like dead. And he's like, Hey, I'm like, yeah. He's like, I want to, I'm not supposed to tell you this, but I probably should, I, I have to tell you this. And I'm like, what? He's like, Preston told me he has a crush on you. I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, he told me he has a crush on you. And I'm like, I don't even remember what I said, but my, I swear to God, my whole body changed. It was just like, ah, like, you know, you get butterflies in your stomach. I felt like butterflies all the way through my arms and tingling out my fingers. It felt like a miracle had happened. This boy that I had a crush on was crushing on me. I thought this cannot be happening because remember, as I've said in past episodes, I went to a practically all-white school, 4,000 kids. It was one of, if not the best high school in the state of Colorado and may still be. They're just known. Everybody knew about this high school. I mean, we had every language there, Chinese, Japanese, English, obviously English, uh, German, Spanish, French, and Latin. You could just pick a language and take one of those. Nowadays in my kids' high school, I think that you can take English or Spanish and that's it. We had every kind of sport and we won at everything. So this was a very elite school, but it was lacking in diversity. Great education, but zero interracial dating if you were a female. So in my case, being the female, I never saw interracial dating from like the perspective of a black girl dating a white guy. The opposite happened. There would always be like the black soccer player or black football player. It was always the athletes that would be dating like the white cheerleader. But even that, there weren't enough of us to create any kind of a pattern or to even be any kind of a threat. But I mean, think about that. 30 black kids out of 4,000. And so I was just seen as different you know, back then there was no JLo, there was no Kim Kardashian, there was no idea that having curves was cool. Back then it was about being skinny. No one cared if you had curves. Well, they cared, you know, boys wanted girls to have boobs, but they wanted you to have a flat stomach and a flat ass. Like that was the thing. Think back to those models, Cheryl Teagues and all of those people. 
So me being an adorable black girl didn't matter. I was black. So therefore I was different and difference not attractive. So therefore in my entire high school career, I was single. So back to Preston. I'm 17. I'm a junior. I'd had all these different crushes. You know, I was relatively boy crazy in the sense that I was always getting googly eyes for boys all the way back as far as I can remember. I remember in second grade, I had a crush on a little boy named Patrick. Like that's how long I just, I just always liked boys. I thought they were fun and I liked to do boy things like running and I liked to play with trucks. And then but I wanted to put my Barbie in the truck too. So I liked girl toys, but I just always liked boys. So now here we are back at Kentucky Fried Chicken. And all of that baggage, all of that rejection of liking these little boys in, in second grade and fifth grade and sec sixth grade and seventh grade and ninth grade and 10th grade. I mean, it was seriously nothing but rejection. Here we are. KFC. D says that Preston likes me. And I cannot believe it. So I'm like floating through space. I knew I had to go and I had to mop the vestibule. I remember that's what they called it. It was that little space in between the dining room where the restrooms were. You'd walk through the door and then you had the, the choice of the men's room and the, and the ladies' room. So it's, a, it's just a little square. And I think there was a payphone in there. So I'm mopping the vestibule and Preston walks through to go to the men's room. And I stop him and I say, hey, Preston. He's like, hey. I'm like, um... Dee told me something. I don't remember my exact words. And he's like, what? He said that you have a crush on me. <laughs> I laugh now, but it was horrible. He's like, what? You? No. <laughs> and laughs and goes into the men's room. And I felt about two inches tall. He walked out of the restroom after I was still mopping and feeling all dejected, looks at me, laughs again, and goes back into the chicken fryer place. <laughs> I was like, what the hell? And I felt so small and so rejected. I mean, he literally laughed in my face and looked shocked and disgusted. Like the idea of having a crush on Jody was so vile and so bad and so unrealistic and impossible that it's funny. And I remember I went back up to D and he, I guess, I don't remember how it all took place, but it was just within a few minutes. So I went walking up to him and he burst out into laughter because I guess Preston told him and he's like, you believed me? I was just kidding. Ha 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 ha. I know you have a crush on him. And I'm just like, oh, and I'm trying to act like, oh, whatever, you know, but inside I was devastated because for that few minutes, when Dee told me that Preston liked me, I thought and I felt like I was pretty. I felt like I had a good personality. I felt like I had value because some boy finally liked me. Years of rejection. And I forgot to mention, he was white. And I thought, 
maybe he doesn't like me because I'm black. Maybe he thinks I'm ugly. Maybe he thinks I'm fat. I don't know. Again, I was a cutie. But when you live where I lived, in the suburbs of Denver, and it's mostly white, you have almost no reason to believe that you're attractive. Because if people don't find you attractive, it's hard to believe that your mom says that you're pretty, or your friends, your girlfriends say that you're pretty. But if boys don't say it, it's like, well, then is it true? I felt such rejection. And I remember my parents, my mom um, owned a travel agency. So she had worked in the travel business for many, many years. So we luckily and, you know, got to travel a lot. And I think the year before or right around that same time, we had taken a trip to the Bahamas. And I got all this attention from teenager boys that were my age you know, 20 something men who thought I was a cute teenage girl, like it was nonstop attention, like flirting and whistling and winking and coming up to me and all of this attention. And then when I went back home, I was back to being rejected and invisible again. And it made no sense. It was like, wow. So when I'm around black people in the Bahamas, I'm attractive. But when I'm back home, in Colorado, around white people, I'm disgusting. And so that played with my mind. That's the worst kind of rejection, I think. I think that when you're a teenager, when you're still sort of building your self-esteem and your self-worth, those little dings aren't so little. They're incredibly painful. I mean, I remember. It, does, it doesn't hurt at all now. Now it's kind of humorous. But I still remember that. I remember that feeling of feeling so small. And I think it's so important to remember those kind of moments so that when your kids either someday or now come up to you and say they're upset about some boy, and a lot of times I have to say it seems a little trivial, but the pain that teenagers are going through with the rejection is real. And so many things in my life have led to rejection. I remember when I would go to auditions and I would really, really, really want a part. One of the biggest rejections, which I thought was an interesting story, I was living in Los Angeles and they were doing the national tour of the musical Rent. And for those of you who are unfamiliar, Rent was the, what's the name of that big musical right now? The one about, oh, Hamilton? Yes. Rent was the Hamilton of the 90s. It was huge. It was diverse in their casting. It was unique. It was gritty. It was like nothing that people had seen before. Because really and truly early on, musicals were always like classical. There'd be like a queen and a king or princess or like very storybook, white stories, or they were all black, a couple of Broadway plays here or there and some musicals. But there were very few integrated and diverse musicals. And so Rent broke the barrier and they had all kinds of people, gay, straight, black, white, thin, fat, whatever. 
And it gave actresses like me the chance to be in a show. Because if Oklahoma was casting, and back then they didn't cast against type, which means you cast somebody that's different than the race, there was no part for me. So I'd have to go through the auditions and look on the list and be like, Oklahoma, white, it would say white woman, ingenue, ages 22 to 26. Okay, no, you know, white woman, young girl, age 17 to 24. No, and it was no, no, no rejection before I even went to the audition because you're black. And so when Rent came along, I was like, oh, there's a part that I can play. There was this black lesbian. And I'm like, I didn't really know the play that well, but she was like this black girl who had grown up in white schools her whole life and had been surrounded by money. And I was like, oh my God, that's kind of my life. I can play this. So I got up really early to go to the audition because back then you'd have to line up for these cattle calls, as they call them. And you just line up and you bring your book of sheet music and your headshot and your resume and you just wait. And there were hundreds of people. And I got there so early, I think there was only like 25 people ahead of me, which is nothing. And it was held in a, a restaurant. And so you would go from room to room to room and you would sing and they would give you a little like pass card, like, yep, you're good enough. And you'd go to the next room and you'd sing and it go, yep, they give you a little cards. So it was like you'd move up in the levels. And then I got the third one and then they said, thank you. But essentially, no, thank you. And I was like, oh rejected. I was so upset. I felt like this could be my role. And I was exhausted because I had gotten up, I think at five, so I could get there early. And so I went home and I took a nap and I dreamt that I had a chance to be in this musical. And I thought, I woke up, it was like an hour or two later. The audition was still going until two o'clock. And I think it was like 1.30. So I thought, if I sing a different song, they're not going to know who they rejected. There's hundreds of people. So I raced over there and I sang and they were like, yep, gave me a little card, sang again. Yep, gave me a little card, got to the third place where I had gotten rejected last time and they gave me the callback. The callback means you have made it through the first three levels. Here's the cassette or the music that you have to learn. Here's the new sheet music and the, the lines. Go home and practice this. We'll see you on Thursday. And I'm like, oh my God, I have a chance at rent. And it was so hard. Like I'm a, I'm a belter and I'm a mezzo-soprano alto, which means I have a lower voice. And this part was a belter, but it was made for a soprano voice. And I was like, reaching for these notes and I could hit them, but I was like scratching up my throat. And I thought maybe I can do this. And I went to the callback and they had me repeat it and repeat it and sing it. And they're like, we just don't think that you can hit these notes the way they need to be hit. We're sorry. And they were right. I was rejected. And so there's two ways I could look at that story. And I look back on it now, I keep hitting my microphone. I'm so sorry. I get so animated. I talk with my hands even when I'm just doing this, this podcast. But I look back to how I, I, I took that situation. And yes, I was disappointed that I was rejected. But I was really proud of myself for being savvy enough to go back 
and try again the same day because I knew they wouldn't remember that they had rejected me in the first place and that some of that stuff is subjective. I didn't make it into that Broadway show, but I came really close. It was between me and three other girls. I'll take third place. That means I was on the podium, right? The, the metaphorical podium. I got the bronze medal. Yes, I was disappointed, but I was like, look what you did. You went back and you sang your heart out and they thought you were good enough. It's just that the notes were too high. So it was all in how I sort of managed and I dealt with that rejection. And even now, when I look back on my rent audition story, I kind of feel good because I'm like, look at you. Look what you did. I'm proud of you, Jody, younger actress, Jody. And then when I look back at, you know, being laughed at by Preston, I never said to myself, oh, obviously this guy's a little asshole <laughs> because anyone who would laugh in someone's face is a little asshole. He's not so great. He's not so dreamy. He's not wonderful. He may be cute, but a real young man wouldn't have laughed in my face. Even a teenage boy as immature as they are, not all of them are heartless. He could have said, wait, what? He said I had a crush on you? No, I mean, you're an awesome girl, but you know, I have a girlfriend or you're really pretty, but you know, I don't know why he said that. Here, let's go kick his butt. I should be so lucky to like a girl like you or something like that. Now, maybe put, he was obviously put on the spot, but to laugh in someone's face, you're a little asshole. <laughs> and, you know, if I had been able to restructure how I felt about that, it would have hurt less. And I could have had a different lesson. I'm going to share with you what I think the lesson should have been and how we can look at rejection as adults, not just as teenagers, and what we can do to reframe it. Coming up after the break. Stay with me. Welcome back. Before the break, I left with the thought about reframing rejection. Because once we refrain, refrain, reframe how we look at the rejection, that's where the power is. If instead of when Preston, Preston Doty, had laughed in my face, instead of me feeling rejected and small, you know, two feet, two inches tall and ugly and useless and just, you know, worthless. That's how I felt. Instead of looking at it that way, I should have reframed it. I wish I had. And not that it would completely take the sting out of being rejected, but it would make it make more sense and it would have a value. It would have a lesson and it would hurt less. What I should have said to myself is, besides the fact that he's a little asshole, wow, Jody, you are a trusting person. 
You believed your boss when he told you that someone had a crush on you. Not your gullible, which is what I said to myself. You're a trusting person. You believe people at their word. <laughs> it's a beautiful thing. <laughs> that is my dog. <laughs> this is my dog howling in the background because, <laughs> because there's an ambulance or a fire truck going by. It's like singing, Chili. I don't know if she's done. Are you done? <laughs> she has beautiful pipes. I think she's done. She's looking around. See, I don't want to cut this out because this is what do I, I always say? I want to be my authentic self, my authentic self. This is my authentic self. Self, my dog howls at <laughs> the sirens that are going by. I think they're done. Anyway, so if I had reframed the situation and said, you are not gullible, gullible, you are trusting. That is a beautiful thing. At 17 years old, you're not jaded and bitter, you're trusting. And when Preston laughed in my face, instead of saying, oh, he must think I'm ugly or boring, or I don't have the right personality, or I'm fat, or I'm, or she doesn't like me because of my race. Instead of all of that, like taking it all on myself, I should have reframed it and said, huh, that's really sad that he thinks it's okay to laugh in somebody's face. I'm a lot more patient, a lot more loving, kind, and respectful, because I would never laugh in someone's face when they said that to me. I had the odd boy here or there have crushes on me that I was like, uh, no, in my mind, I'm not interested in you, but I wouldn't laugh in his face. I should have said, you know what, to myself, that's his problem. And, you know, people always say, well, he's missing out. Tell that, you know, that person they're missing out on the opportunity to date you. It isn't even that. It's just that I put myself out there. Many people live their entire lives without putting themselves out there, without taking a chance, without taking risks, without trying something new. That's not me. The easier thing to do would have been like, oh my gosh, she has a crush on me. I'll wait and see what happens. And then just wonder. Now, maybe I could have approached it in a different way, but when I reframe it to, you know what, this was an awesome lesson about how good of a person, how decent of a person I am, instead of feeling rejected and blaming myself and saying all these negative things to myself. The same way as when I went for that audition for Rent. Instead of being upset that I didn't make it because I couldn't hit those high notes without becoming hoarse, I was like, look at your ingenuity, girl. You go, girl. <laughs> look what you did. You felt rejected. You felt bad. And I forgot to mention, when I, after I took the nap and I went back to the audition, I just simply sang a different song. You know, some songs show off your voice better than others. And the first choice that I picked wasn't as good. So I picked something that I knew that I would knock their socks off. And even though I didn't get the part, my reference point of that rejection was, look what you did. You took the bull by the horns and you tried to make something happen. And whether or not you get the part and that thing happens was irrelevant or is irrelevant. 
What's relevant is the beautiful lesson that I got of it, out of it. I was able to feel good about myself, reward myself, pat myself on the back instead of going home and crying that I didn't get the part. And I think that's what we can do. That's how we take back our power. That's how we deal with rejection. We're all going to have it. We've all had it before and we will have it again. All kinds of rejection, work, school, life, relationships, whatever. I was doing and, and I'm still doing the 12 Days of Christmas bonus episodes. If you haven't had a chance to listen to them, check them out. I have uh, day one and day two of the 12 days already up and posted. And they're little mini episodes, 20 minutes each. And I was thinking about how it's the holiday season and so many emotions can come up when you have to deal with relatives and family members that maybe you don't get along with, or maybe you have to deal with an ex or somebody that's difficult. And there's been rejection in some of that. So much is stressful and an additional helping of rejection during these times, during this weird 2020, right? But if we look at the lessons in them and we shift how we see them, everything changes, everything. I think about all the boys that rejected me. Some of them because I was black and it was I was just different. Some of them may not have liked my personality. Some of them may not have been attracted to me. Whatever it was, when I met my husband, and I had other good boyfriends between those dummies and my husband, but when I met my husband, I appreciated him and still appreciate him more than I think I would have if I hadn't gone through that rejection. And so the power and the beauty is in the framing of the rejection. If, what is it, there's that saying that says, it's not rejection, it's a rescue. It's a way of God or whatever you believe in, whatever higher power or the universe or energy, creating a way to spare you from something you don't need, aren't ready for, or is bad for you. Preston wasn't a good guy. I didn't need to be dating him. So it was a rescue, not a rejection. Doing that musical rent, traveling all over the country, it wasn't something I needed at that point in my life. And even if sometimes we can't make sense of it or we don't see it, we're like, what? I should have this thing. Why isn't it happening? Why did this happen to me? Why am I rejected? I don't see the lesson. Sometimes you can't see the bigger picture. Many times we can't see the bigger picture. But if we at least accept that there's some sort of beautiful lesson in it all, and that the power is in that lesson, then we know we're going to be okay. We know that the rejection won't take us down. And that's all we need. Sometimes being rejected does feel like it is going to take you down. It broke your heart. You know, someone broke your heart. Your boss thinks that you don't deserve a raise. 
You don't get the job that you wanted. You know, like I said, you get rejected from something to do with your school or a project or you're trying to start a new business. All of these things, any of that rejection can make it feel as if it's just too painful and it's going to take you down. So the next time you feel that way, just try to find the lesson, try to reframe it. And again, this doesn't make it perfect. It doesn't make the pain completely go away. And wow, this is the end all be all. But it'll help. And it'll help you make you, it'll help make you feel more powerful. And it'll help you be more prepared for the next time you're in a similar situation and the next time and the next time and the next time and you'll grow from it and then someday you'll look back and you'll laugh at the Preston Doties in your life. I just laugh. Jody Doty. <laughs> There's a reason right there why I didn't need to have him in my life and you know get married and live unhappily ever after. I can't be Jody Doty. I'm Jody Rollins. So whatever you're going through, if you've been going through any rejection or you've had something recently or it's coming around the corner, just remember it's all in how you frame it. It's all in how you look at the lessons. And that's where your power is. That's my story anyway. But I'm not sticking to it just yet. Don't forget to click subscribe. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram. Please share the show with at least one person. Just one person. It's so hard. Celebrities are growing their podcasts left, right, and center. Little old me, it's chugging along. Please share it. Continue to listen. I appreciate every single one of you. I can't say that enough. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Big Time Small Talk. We talk about the topics that go beyond just the small talk, stories and observations beyond small talk. That's my sort of tagline for big time small talk. That's what we do here. So if you like the show, please keep listening. Please share it. You can listen to full episodes on my YouTube channel under Jody Rollins as well. It's audio only, but you can click on YouTube. Sometimes that's easier for people. Um, I'm starting with posting the 12 Days of Christmas episode series first, and then we'll begin posting the other episodes after that. It is a test, so we'll see how that goes. Um, and again, feel free to write me, bigtimesmalltalkpodcast at gmail.com. If you want to support the show financially, feel free. You can click on uh, the Anchor app. And there's a way to sign up for a paid sponsorship. I'm sorry, a paid membership. You have to go to anchor.com or I'm sorry, anchor.fm. And there's all the details there or email me and I will show you the way. Not a request, not a requirement, just an opportunity and an option. So thank you for supporting this show. And that's my story. And I'm sticking to it.